Hello, welcome to The Buzzword. The Buzzword is a Writing Center pedagogy podcast produced by the Noggle Com Lab at the Georgia Institute of Technology. On this podcast, ComLab consultants discuss communication strategies, genres, and formats with members of the Atlanta and Georgia Tech community to help students of all levels and disciplines more effectively develop and convey ideas. I am Dr. Eric Lewis, and I am a Britain Fellow and professional ComLab consultant. Today, I am joined by my fellow Britain Fellow, Dr. Hi. Jill Fennell. Hello! Hi! Uh, to discuss team charters, basically the contracts that students collaborating on a project write for themselves. So hello, Jill. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is an assignment that I'm really passionate about, so I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it, too. One of the reasons it stood out to me is that it strikes me as an assignment that is particularly you and an assignment that as collaboration becomes even more of an emphasis in what we are doing in the university a thing that students are going to encounter more and more often and that they're likely to have very little familiarity <laughs> with going in. I know that I definitely plan to adapt it in my own courses in the future, so thank you for that. So starting off, just because our listeners might not even be familiar with it, could you describe what a team charter should do, what it should look like and accomplish? Sure, yeah. So in my classes, I teach, because I teach collaboration in every class, I teach a team charter in every class. Sometimes I call it something differently, depending on how long I envision their collaboration to last. Because a charter specifically should be made for a particular task. So for example, when I'm teaching English 1102, and I have them work in teams to build a technical definition, they're doing a charter just for the technical definition. And what a good charter should do should be to clarify what your primary objective is as a team to lay out any kind of power dynamics that are going to be at play, any kind of expectations for you know, who is going to be the primary person taking notes in meetings, who is going to be in charge of different objectives, and then to have a protocol, so how are you going to expect people to work together? And the protocol section can be very long, and it can have a lot of expectations. Um, I generally have just a few points that I really want my students to hit on. And then it should end with a schedule. Like, a liter literally, the most important part of the, of the charter, I would say, would be writing out when you're going to do something, how you're going to do something, and who's going to do it. What I add to mine also is how they're going to self-assess because I have all of my students assess each other as a team at the end of the assignment. I make it very clear that you can't assess someone. It is unfair to assess someone in a way that you didn't tell them you were going to assess them, right? That's why my assignment <laughs> sheets have learning objectives. Yeah. Um, and so you have to take that part very seriously because if you get to the end and you're really mad that someone didn't do something, but you never said that you cared about that, then that's on, you know, your planning stage a little bit. That makes perfect sense to me. And that builds into what my next question was going to be because... 
central to any assignment is, of course, the learning goals. The learning goals shape what your professor expects you to do. So could you talk in a bit greater detail about what your learning goals specifically for this assignment are? There are so many learning <laughs> goals that come out of this assignment. Um, let me pull up my assignment sheet while I'm talking to you just so that I make sure I hit all the ones that I normally have on there. I do you know, adapt my assignment sheet pretty much every semester to go along with whatever it is that the program is looking for. But the most important thing that a work charter should be teaching you is collaboration. And that is why I teach the work charter, because I feel like very often in an educational setting, we ask students to collaborate without teaching them how to collaborate. Very true. Um, and if they have ever had any experience collaborating, air quotes, no, they can't see me, air quotes. Yes. Um, <laughs> in the past, it's usually in the form of some kind of group work in high school where they probably were not taught how to do it and there might not have really been a distinction on um, any kind of assessment at the end, grade-wise. So I do the work charter, one, to make them practice collaboration in a very controlled way. And then, two, because that allows me to work into lectures the importance of collaboration and how to do collaboration well. One of the things that I try to get them to kind of think about is it's not group work. So let's try to draw a distinction between group work and teamwork or group work and collaboration. Because whenever I think group work, I think about honestly what I did when I was in college. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I really didn't learn to collaborate well until I was a master's student and I was sort of thrown into teaching. So what I sometimes did in college was I got with people, we chopped up the assignment like with a hacksaw and then we all did our own thing and then we came back and we Frankenstein stitched it all together at the end. And that's not collaboration. Yes, I think that's just about everyone's experience. And also, it just results in a poorer product. There's shifts in tone. There is shifts in reference. Definite grammatical shifts. Mm. Uh, and it's just not uh, producing the kind of work that collaboration is intending to do. So the purpose and one of the main goals of the work charter is to teach them how to do collaboration effectively in a very controlled environment. And that control, of course, is, is me, the way I'm making yeah. them do it. Mm -hmm. Got it. So now that we have down what it is that a team charter is, what it is that it does, can you talk a little bit about what separates an effective team charter from a less effective one? Yeah. Um, the major thing that ineffective charters have an issue with is a lack of specificity. Charters should be written in such a specific degree that your sentence cannot be interpreted at all. It can't, it's not interpretable. It is literal. Uh -huh. um, that you and I couldn't interpret things. So, you know, if we, were, if we were on Slack or something and you asked me to send you my assignment sheet, and I said, yeah, I'll get it to you soon. Mm. You might think that soon means in 30 minutes because you want to work on your course design right now. I might think soon means at the end of the day when I get home and I'm thinking about it. So I have them try to be as specific as possible. So you say that you want communication to be soon. What do you mean by soon? Within two hours? 
what about at midnight? Do they have to do within two hours at midnight? So I like really that kind of granular detail. Because, and I do think that it helps them feel safer in their team. And it also gives them more grounding whenever it comes time to actually do that team performance review. Because I do make them review each other. Mm-hmm. And if they know what it is that they're going to be reviewed on, they're more likely to stick to those rules. Got it. I want to talk a little bit more about strengths, but to give a little bit of a preview, my next question is going to be about strategies for getting started with one, or if you are a a consultant helping someone with one. So it seems like one would just be being that obnoxious kid who keeps asking questions. (laughs) What do you mean by X? What do you mean by Y? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the definition of is? Stuff like that. Yeah. Can you make it more specific? If you can, do it. Yes. Awesome. So specificity is important. Can you think of a specific article in a particular charter that made it really stand out? A lot of, so I teach teamwork every single semester, as I think you do too. And I will say that across the board, the teams that do well, and I don't mean like the teams that pass, you know, most of them, most of them pass, but the teams that excel, Mm -hmm. they excel because they are open and honest and vulnerable with one another. They are vulnerable enough to say, I don't know how to do that, or I actually just can't do that. And that kind of honesty and vulnerability creates a better work environment to actually just getting things done. So I've been like really impressed whenever I see students write in their charters, they write in language that prepares for those moments when they know that things come up and they're not being the sort of the crabby boss that just like, you know, puts their fist down and like, no, you got to get it done or we're going to do something. We're going to evaluate you poorly. They're like, no, tell us when you know. Tell us when you know and we'll help you. We understand that Georgia Tech can be, you know, a really demanding learning experience for our students and they care for each other. And like those kinds of charters that work in space for the work to get done smoothly and efficiently in a human environment. That's what I love. I, you know, that's whenever I feel like, yes, that's why I got that humanities degree. So I'm teaching <laughs> uh, communication because that is what actually works yeah. in the workplace. So, so just making sure that I'm following you. So a good charter would not be everyone will reply within five minutes. If they don't, they will be, they will receive an F on their group evaluation. A better one would be, this is the expectation. This is the protocol to follow. If for some reason you can't meet that expectation and this is how we'll deal with that. Right. Because I don't teach it so much in the English classes because we have to move pretty quickly and the business classes because they're writing their charters which in that in that sense I call really the sort of like the employee expectations memo because it goes for like forever and Mm -hmm. not just for one assignment or one task like a charter does I talked to them about employee buy-in and building employee buy-in and how that is very important in business writing. And that's also applicable to English. I probably should be teaching that in English. Because one thing I tell them, actually, I get a little theoretical on them. I talked to them about Karl Marx and how Karl Marx says people are becoming dissociated from their labor, right? 
I, I build the sole, the sole of the shoe, you stitch the shoe, and someone else puts the laces in it. I didn't build this beautifully crafted shoe. I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm contributing anywhere anymore. Whenever you know people used to be artisans and they would spend all day making the most beautiful pairs of shoes, I was like, I made that. And then people are out there working in them like, I made that. Um, they don't feel that way anymore. So what you want to do, I guess if you want to keep all your employees happy, which I guess Karl Marx would say is, uh, is stopping the revolution. If you yeah, want to stop the revolution. That definitely seems related to opiates <laughs> for the masses. I, and also, I have to say, just a brief interruption. I mean, the fact that we've managed to bring Marxism up means that <laughs> this is going well. So thank you. I feel like I've constructed something today, or you and I have together. But, but go on. <laughs> uh, well, Karl Marx would probably say that I'm being a, a very capitalist to teach my students how to use his theories pretty much to keep workers complacent, which Mm -hmm. is to say you want people to feel like they're contributing. Yeah. When you're in the business setting, you might not necessarily feel like you're building anything anymore anymore. So when you write things, you want to write in a way to make your employees feel like they're a part of something. So that is one of the difficult tasks my students do whenever they do their employee expectation memos, because they have to lay down the law, so to speak. But in these, you know, very, um, and this goes to a little bit with stylistic writing. So they will write their sort of maybe section on communication. They'll have their rules on communication. And these may be bulleted. And it sounds a little bit like you're shouting, right? Whenever you see a bullet, you do this and you yeah. do this and you better do this. But you want to sandwich those in paragraphs. Always start with a paragraph form and end with a paragraph form. And those places are your opportunity to explain why these rules are so necessary, while they're good for them, how this contributes to the team environment where we're all a big family. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I can't, no, I can't that, get that out without laughing. That's ended up so sinister. <laughs> it is. A, I mean, what are we teaching our students to do here if not be very effective communicators? <laughs> I may cut that out. But anyway, anyway, moving on. My, my final question for you is, so you talked a little bit about steps that someone could take to improve a draft they already have, especially in terms of improving the tone, making it more friendly, making it more specific. How might someone get started if they have no idea what to do? They're sitting in front of the blank page. That is actually something that we start in class. So there are two things that I do. Primarily, I do these two separate things because I've been teaching hybridly this last year. Partly in class, partly online. So the first thing that I do in class is I have them work through really difficult scenarios that I know comes up in teamwork. And I make them go through the process of acting out. Like one person is the person who has sort of done the thing. And the other person is the person who has to confront them about it. So I have a couple of scenarios that they have to work through and sort of act out. And through the process of acting these out, they should be coming up with things that they want to write for their protocol. Because one of the things I usually have them include in their protocol is how to handle criticism, like how criticism will be given and how it is expected to be dealt with. So you want me to read some of the scenarios that I use for you? Okay. So I have six here, but I'll try to choose just some of my favorites. This is a really good one. Okay. Someone misses an internal deadline, so I ask my students to always put in, not the, not the when it's due on Canvas, right, but the internal deadline. Someone misses their internal deadline. When confronted, 
They respond, internal deadlines aren't real deadlines. <laughs> but, but how would you confront me, Eric? What would you say to me? Wait, so are you the person who messed up? Yes, I messed up. I, mean, oh, I, I just told okay. you internal deadlines aren't real deadlines, Eric. Oh, okay. Given the fact that I was late to our recording today, <laughs> I, I originally assumed the opposite. <laughs> uh, I suppose I would say that we made an agreement upon this deadline mm-hmm. and that makes it real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so whenever you do a team charter at the beginning, whenever you set those internal deadlines, those aren't usually set arbitrarily. Those are set there for a reason because someone needs you to have completed that so that they can continue on with their work. So it doesn't just affect you whenever you miss an internal deadline. Let's see, what are some other good ones? A group member has a tendency to interrupt others and dominate the majority of the meeting time. So what kind of policies should we create in our meeting protocol, right? If you're in your protocol section, you should probably have a section for meetings too. How are they going to happen? How long are they going to last? What are you going to do if you haven't completed all your tasks and the meeting time has elapsed? What are you going to do if someone's dominating the meeting time or not paying attention? Like all of those things. One thing I'd say is that I think this is where the anti-worker opiate might fit in well, that introductory Mm -hmm. paragraph in which you might talk a little bit about, like just acknowledge these sort of common failings that people frequently fall into, just sort of state on the record for everyone to know these things aren't a huge deal. Basically preparing people to accept criticism and accept it well. And then I think maybe one of the bullet points would just be people are expected and encouraged to point out when someone talks over them, to point out yeah. when someone isn't engaged. Right. And, and um, these are just some scenarios I have them work out. Oftentimes before we even get to the scenario part, I tell them to talk about themselves. Like what are some things that they know that they do well at? So, you know, when we're sort of assigning and breaking up different sort of smaller modular tasks, you know, who can review who, who's going to write what, who's going to review that, they know that part. But also, what are some of like the things that you know you don't do well? So like me, I know that I, I don't take praise well. Like it makes me super awkward. So if, you're, if you wanted to, felt like you wanted to do that, a text would be the better way to do it. I know that I have a tendency to interrupt people and to talk over people because my family does that. And so that's how I was raised. That's how I was raised to speak. And so I tell people, uh, specifically when I'm doing some sort of teamwork, that I have a tendency to do this, interrupt me. I tell my students, I know I talk too fast sometimes. Just raise your hand, tell me, hey, you need to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is the kind of, like, the vulnerable, caring, open environment that actually gets stuff done. Like, if I actually care if my students learn, I want them to point out that I'm talking too fast so that they can understand me. And then the other thing that I have them do online, so on days when we haven't been in class, I do a Padlet. And I like Padlet for this as opposed to discussion board because you can make it look like a web where things are connected. And I call this Padlet Why Group Work Sucks. And I have everyone talk about, tell me about your bad experiences because everyone has bad group work experiences. Like I want to know what went wrong. And then I want you to comment on at least two people's and maybe offer what are some things you could work in your protocol to have stopped this from happening? Or could you work into your language for how you're going to review each other to 
encourage people not to do this anyway. So those are two ways that I sort of help people come up with content whenever they're getting started on their charter. But they really need to do this in communication with other people. Yes, there's only so far you can get in a charter agreement yeah. just on your own, right. of course. That the, it, I like the, uh, writing the charter would not be like one of the things you wanted to put off on one of your group members. <laughs> that is an example of group work as opposed to collaborative. Right, work. like you write yes. it. They'll, they'll do the graphic design part and she'll edit it and, and we'll just call it like, no, that's going to be a really terrible charter. <laughs> None mm. of you are going to agree on anything by the end of it. Nope, nope. We're coming at about the time length of the podcast. So at this point, I just want to ask, do you have anything else you want to add? Anything else that you think would be useful advice for someone writing a charter to know that you haven't mentioned yet? It would really be just to read it over in a very sincere setting with your team to make sure that like everyone is okay with what you're agreeing to, to read it in a way that takes into account humanity and people and like, you know, even workplaces, things come up and bosses understand. As far, as far as tutors might find helpful is I don't necessarily require a lot a lot of pickiness whenever it comes to use of bulleted lists or numbered lists and the stylized representation of those for like my English class. But for my business writing class, you have to use a numbered list when things are sequential, bulleted lists when they're not. If your bullets or numbers are complete sentences, they need to have periods at the end. You need to make sure that you're using semicolons appropriately or not using them appropriately whenever you introduce these bulleted lists. Not every bulleted list needs to have a semicolon in front of it. Um, so just those sort of like grammatical things that whenever we're creating lists, particularly bulleted lists, we don't think of it as writing, but it is. And it should be treated with the sort of same respect that paragraph style writing is treated. Especially when you are trying to reach this ultimate point of being impossible to interpret. Right. Being completely clear, transparent, agreed upon by everyone. Exactly. Well, thank you very much. This was a very enlightening conversation. Thanks so, so thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you about it. Me too. Yes, I definitely I learned a lot more that will help me teach these assignments in the future. So thank you very much. Great. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Buzzword. And in conclusion, I just want to say, despite all of our jokes about opiates of various masses, collaboration is incredibly important, whether in the workplace or outside of it, because even the revolution will be collaborative. All right. See ya.